Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Gospel reading for today could be very awkward for me, but it's not. It could be awkward, but it's not awkward. You know, very few pastors have the joy, wink, of serving in their home congregations. So this could be awkward. But thank God, this passage is not about me. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Every single word on every single page of your Bible points to Jesus. Every word of our liturgy, every song we sing points you to Jesus. We are all about Jesus at St. John. In fact, we are hooked on Jesus. So at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, we hear about where Jesus went after he got done raising Jairus' daughter, which was our gospel reading last Sunday. When he was done there, he went to his hometown of Nazareth along with his disciples. And what do you do when you're visiting your hometown on the Sabbath? You go to the synagogue. The synagogue functioned very much like our churches do today. In fact, our pattern of worship, our, the structure of our liturgy is based on synagogue worship prior to Jesus' birth. Although we've added things like the New Testament and Holy Communion and baptism and all that stuff, thanks be to God. The synagogue was a local assembly of believers, much like St. John here is in Bullhead for Lutherans. And in our reading today, Jesus goes to his home congregation and gets up to preach. What you don't see here is that more than likely, he would have been invited to preach by the ruler of the synagogue, the Nazareth counterpart to Capernaum's Jairus, the man whose daughter was raised last week. When he gets up to preach, jaws drop. People are astonished. You know... It reads much more politely in our translation than it was probably intended by those who said these things. It says that many who heard him were astonished or literally they were struck by the words that were coming out of his mouth. Maybe it would make more sense to hear it in this tone of voice. Where did this guy get these things? What kind of wisdom does he have? How is he doing all these mighty things? Isn't this the local contractor? The carpenter, Mary's kid, aren't these all of his extremely ordinary brothers and sisters sitting right here in the pews around us? Who does he think he is? They're not amazed at his teaching because of what he's saying. They're amazed because he's the one saying it. They're not having it. A few months ago, he's off building stuff, and now he's a prophet? What gives? Don't miss what St. Mark says right after this. He says, they took offense at him. Literally, in the Greek, they were scandalized by him. He caused them to stumble. What Jesus was saying and doing was scandalous to them. Not because it wasn't true, but because of everything that they thought they knew. Do you ever deal with people like that? We were just talking about Facebook a few minutes ago. Do you ever have interactions with people whose minds are so made up that they will not listen to the facts? 
Have you ever been that person? I have. <laughs> you tried to share your faith with people whose minds are already made up. Such is the origin of what we call sacred cows in church. We can't change this or that because, after all, I've been here longer and I know better. So often we think this, and this goes for me too, that our refusal to evaluate other viewpoints or new information is faithfulness or steadfastness, when in reality it is selfishness and stubbornness. The people of Nazareth had already made up their minds about who Jesus was, and nothing was going to change that. Didn't matter if he raised a little girl from the dead. Didn't matter if he'd healed that lady with an incurable disease. It didn't matter to them if he had cast out demons and calmed storms. He was always just going to be little Joshy from down the street. To top it off, they make a dig at Jesus' parentage in the process. Notice here that they didn't ask if he was the son of Joseph. They say, isn't that Mary's son? In first century Israel, the only reason that anyone would typically refer to a man by his mother's name and not his father's was to cast doubt on his origins. Do I need to spell it out for you? B-A-S-T. <laughs> Isn't that Mary's kid equates to saying that Jesus' father and Joseph who raised him were not one and the same person? It's funny how in the process of trying to denigrate Jesus by accusing him of being born in sin, they actually confess a parallel truth about his parentage. We know full well that Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. But it's not because of poor choices on Mary's part. It's because of who Jesus is. In the ancient world, this is Israel and, and even beyond, to call someone a son meant that they were one and the same. They were cut from the same cloth. They were made of the same stuff. The crowds accused Jesus of being cut from the same cloth, not as his father, but as Mary, which is to say, in their mind, sinful at worst and foolish at best. So far from the truth. If Jesus' true father wasn't Joseph, that's true. His father is God. So he also is God. That's what it means when we say that Jesus is the Son of God. He is being of one substance with the Father. He is made of the same stuff. Not made, but you get the idea. So what the crowds are asking in Mark chapter 6 here, what they really want to know is, whose child is this? You're familiar with the old Christmas hymn, What Child Is This? Our question today remains, whose child is this? So, Zach, if you could scroll forward, would you please join me in singing? Whose child is this who speaks like this, who calls the dead from sleeping? Whose childhood friends his words of faith? 
the scoffers were unable to appreciate was the truth behind their insults. Yes, he is Mary's son, but he's also Mary's God. Yes, he is a carpenter, but not only that, all of creation was made through him. Yes, these are his brothers and his sisters, not because he is by nature ordinary, but because he has lowered himself to become one of us. He has been sent among us in order to save us. His call, like Ezekiel before him, is foreshadowed in Ezekiel. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or they refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. The people of Nazareth refused to hear. But I imagine it wasn't long before they couldn't help but knowing that a prophet was among them. The prophet. The final messenger from God who is in fact God himself. The author of the Hebrews begins his letter this way. In many times and in various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his household. It would be a while before even Jesus' siblings came to see who he truly is. Even though he had been outright rejected, even though there was not enough faith present in his hometown to receive his mighty work, Jesus still had the compassion to heal a few sick people. They would know that a prophet was among them. After this, he sent out the twelve to expand the reach of his kingly reign further and further. They go out in sets of two. They're covering at least six cities at a time. They didn't need to pack a bag or even a lunch, but they were to hit the road, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to call people to repentance. We're still seeing the result of that ministry today. Jesus sent out the twelve once, and he would send them again, and they would send others out, and the word of Jesus has gotten to your very ears and has called you personally to live in his kingdom forever. You know, Jesus could have been pretty upset at the response of the people in Nazareth, his hometown. Wouldn't blame him at all. But he knew better. He knew that he didn't take on flesh and grow up in such a place in order to win a popularity contest, but in order to save it. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, his home area, his homeland, among his own relatives, his household. And although the angels and archangels continually sing his praise around the throne of God, there was one day 
when Jesus was without honor in his true homeland. One day, the praises ceased for a time. One day, when Jesus was covered with all of the sins of his brothers and sisters and you and me and everyone who's ever lived and everyone who ever will live, one day, Jesus was disowned in our place. The Father turned his face away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? St. John records this from a different point of view in Revelation chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Jesus was dead, smitten, stricken, and afflicted, but he would not stay that way. The chains of death cannot hold the deathless one, and he rose victorious over sin and death itself. He rose again so that we would never truly die. He rose again to save us from our lethal unbelief, to save us from our illusions of self-sufficiency and from our stubbornness. And now that he's risen, he lives and reigns through all eternity. And we will reign along with him. Because he lives, we know that, we, that he will never truly be without honor in this town or in any town. As we join together with angels and archangels, all the company of heaven singing, Blessing, honor, glory, and might be to God and the Lamb forever. Amen. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia and amen. Would you please rise as we confess our Christian faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 